The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Our Father in Heaven, we thank you so much for your wonderful grace and mercy that you just pour out on us every day, every second of the day. Father, help us to understand your word and your perspective um, on this topic of complaining, Father. And I just pray that we'll have hearts to receive um, your truth, that we will not um, walk in condemnation, but walk in the hope that you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the battles with complaining, Father. And I just thank you and praise you for your wonderful love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I was going to put an altar up here for us to all come and kneel <laughs> and repent before I get started, because we think we're all guilty of complaining. And this workshop is called Complaining, Rewriting the Story God is Writing. Our theme uh, verse is Philippians 2, 14 through 16. And it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without, I'm sorry, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I just broke the thing on this microphone. Okay, the sin of complaining. First, I want to define, define what um, the Bible says complaining is. You hear the word, you read the word grumbling in the scriptures, and it means to mutter in discontent. 1 Corinthians 10, 10 says, nor grumble as some of them did, talking about the Israelites, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So complaining is to express grief, pain, or discontent. It is a symptom of a deep-seated spiritual problem, a failure to trust God and to submit to his will. It's an emotional rejection of God's providence, will, and circumstances of one's life. Arguing and disputing in that part of Philippians 2 means questionings or criticisms directed negatively toward God. The key is negatively. So, I want to explain the difference between what's a good complaint and what's a sinful complaint. Because in the scriptures, we, you know, um, Steve just mentioned um, Habakkuk and others complaining in the Bible. Well, when does it cross the line? Well, the biblical complaint is that it does not attack the character of God. When you're questioning his wisdom, his, you know, his grace or his um, trustworthiness, that's attacking the character of God, um, but biblical complaint does not. And it tends to end in praising God. For example, in Psalm 102, that's a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poured out and he pours out his complaint before the Lord. I'll read some of the passages in 102. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let me cry for help. Sorry, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. And he goes on some more about that. And he's just complaining over what's going on in, in his life right now. 
Jumping down to verse 12, he says, But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her, for the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. So he laid out his complaint before God. He was not attacking God's character. And then he praised the Lord after that complaint. He's remembering who God is and his power for helping in that situation. So remember that. That is key to remember when we're going to the Lord. So again, any type of affliction um, of a nation, a church, relationships, health, death of a spouse, a child, you know, we find ourselves complaining in circumstances like, oh, pick one, anyone. Um, you lost your job, and what are you going to do? You have bills to pay, and you're complaining that, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. You know, it's, Lord, hurry up. Things, the time is running out. Where are you? You're abandoning me. You know, you're, you're not uh, providing for us. So those are attacking his uh, character, that type of complaining. And this is the sinful complaint. It attacks the character of God, and it is based in unbelief. You're believing lies about God. And the first complainer was Adam, who after he and Eve disobeyed, they complained to God that the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And that's in Genesis 3.12, where he was blaming who? No, who, he was blaming God. Yeah, you can talk back to me. I, this is, this, I'm pretty, pretty relaxed here, so I will be asking questions. Now, I just want to clarify um, this so you'll understand. I was talking to a friend this morning, and we were uh, going through this topic, and, and, and she was, we were just discussing it. Okay, what about this? What do you mean by, not, by you know, uh, sinful complaining versus um, when God tells us to come to him and lay our complaints before him? Well, to complain against... That is in opposition or hostility to, it's contrary to, and it's in competition with. Like complaining against God or when Miriam complained against Moses. We'll cover that passage um, in a few slides ahead where God, God, she was judged because she complained against um, Moses. And then to, to complain about is what we are supposed to do, and that is with regard to or concerning or concerned with um, if you have a spouse, and there are a lot of women here, so we'll pick on uh, the guys. There are two back there. If you're complaining against your husband, against your husband, well, he's doing this, and he's, he's doing that, and he won't do this, um, that is sinful complaining. But when you're saying, my complaint, Lord, is, or if you're talking to a counselor or a dear friend, my complaint is, he is engaging in something he shouldn't be engaging in. You know, we need to find a solution to this. So do you see the difference? Hopefully that's, you're not attacking your husband's character of, of who he is, but mainly just talking, complaining about the behavior and looking for a biblical solution for it. So God's story. We're going to talk about the five elements of a story. I wanted to point this out because like, Steve said the Bible is a huge narrative with little narrative stories all throughout the Bible. So every story have um, characters, right? They're, those are the individuals that the story is about. The protagonist is the good guy. The antagonist is the bad guy. We have the setting, and it tells where, when the story takes place. We have a plot, 
And those are, uh, the plot is a series of events through which the writer reveals what is happening to whom and why. We have the conflict. The conflict is the problem or the dilemma in the story that needs to be resolved. And the resolution is the solution to the problem. And if you want this PowerPoint notes, I could um, send it to you, you can, through email. So um, remember to get my email if you want it. Okay, uh, it's easy. I'll tell you my email. HolyLiving2000 at Yahoo.com. HolyLiving2000 at Yahoo.com. Okay, so I need your participation in this. We're going to talk about God's story, which is the elements of the Bible story. So who are the characters in God's story? Who's the main character? And Holy Spirit, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, Father. The setting. Do you remember the three continents the Bible was set in? Asia, Africa, and Europe. And what about the plot? Oh, too fast. What about the plot here? What's the plot of the Bible story? The general plot, because there are several throughout. What's the R word? Redemption. And what's the conflict? Satan coming in and, you know, the crucifixion, all that stuff you can uh, put into the conflict. And we know what the resolution is. Jesus Christ and coming back for us. So the point of view is the perspective of the story. Now, this is important because we need to know who is telling the story, who tells the story, and how uh, it is told are critical to the truth of the story. The tone and feel of the story and even its meaning can change radically depending on who is telling the story. So who is telling the Bible story? Who is the narrator? God is. Uh, would the story be different if Satan was telling the story? I mean, that would be a totally different ending, right? Would the story be different if we were telling the story? Totally different, right? Because sometimes we don't understand why God does what he does, and we can figure this situation out better than he can. So God is the author, the editor, and the publisher. So uh, Bible, biblical examples of complaining. We're going to talk about blaming God. This, the, this is uh, the sinful complaining. Blaming God, unbelief, a failure to trust God, rejection of God's will, and rebellion against God. Now, we talked about the first complaining human, which is uh, Adam. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. So we said that he's blaming who? He's blaming God for getting himself in trouble. And who did she blame? Who did Eve blame? And who did Satan blame? Did he blame anybody? No. Because he knew what he was doing. Unbelief. So Caleb and Joshua, if you look into uh, the book of num the Numbers in chapter 13, chapter 14, it tells the story of them going to, uh, to spy out the land. I hope you remember that story. It's a long story, so I didn't want to read it. Uh, so what happened there, God sent the men to spy out the land of Canaan. And then Mo Moses gave specific details to survey the land. And you can find that here. And a part of that was bringing back some grapes. Remember that? Um, and then Caleb gave a factual report of the land and a positive charge um, to obey God. 
In Numbers 13, 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the other men, sorry, but the other men uh, with Caleb added their negative commentary and put fear in the people which expressed their faithless attitude toward God and his promises. The faithless people were ready to reject God's leader, Moses. So let's talk about basically what were they grumbling about. Out of fear, unbelief, lack of faith, they wished they had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. They questioned God's motives. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to, to fall by the sword? They predict a wrong conclusion and come up with a better idea. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Now that was a lie. That's, that was not God's intention. And it would not be better for us, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Uh, no, you were crying out to God when you were in Egypt. And now he delivered you and now you're complaining to go back. Uh, they, they, take, they take charge. They said, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Pretty bold. But I think we can see some of our habits and ways in that as well. They had refused to trust or rely on God and his power to give them the land of Canaan in spite of the signs that he had, what, of what he had done in their midst. He did a lot of miracles. Remember the Red Sea? Um, everything he did in front of them, and they, they still didn't trust him at that moment. Another one is failure to, uh, well, to continue with failure to trust God. Moses complained to God for not doing what he wanted him to do when he wanted him to do it. Moses was obeying God, and he was expecting good results. Instead, things got harder for the Israelites, and they complained to Moses. So now they're making Moses' life harder. So when our lives become harder, what do we want to do? We want to complain, or we tempted to complain, I should say. Moses complained to God, accusing him of lying about delivering them. And here's the passage, Exodus 5, through 23. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Did he bring harm to them? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Going from one extreme to the other, you know, we exaggerate the situation. You haven't helped us at all. Now, Jonah complained against God's mercy, um, wanting to save the, the Ninevites. This is rejecting God's will. And that is found in Jonah 4, 9 through 10. So you, I know you've read that before, but you can go back and read it. Um, Cain complained to God about God's work in his life. In Genesis 4, 13 through 14, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So he's rejecting God's will, God's wisdom, and his plan for him because he's afraid or he's mad or he's prideful. Aaron and Miriam complained to God against Moses. They opposed his leadership because they didn't like who he married. Therefore, they began to question Moses overall, whether or not Moses is the only one who could hear from God. Sorry, and that is found in Numbers 12, 1 through 2. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? 
Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. And you can read the rest of that to find out what the Lord did. Basically, that's where Miriam got leprosy. Okay, so how do we fit into God's story? So I'll need your feedback here. Who are the characters in God's story? We are. What's your setting? Right now, you know, I live in San Diego. That's my setting. I grew up in South Carolina. That was my setting before. So I'm, you know, I'm sure we've moved around and have different places where God led us to. Currently, we're right here in San Diego. Uh, what's the plot of your story? You remember what I said a plot is? It's a series of events. So, you know, so the, from your history, talk about your past. I like that Steve uh, talked about getting the past of your counselee. I have a chart that I use um, to get their negative and their positive past. So it's a chart where from 0 to 11, I want them to write down your negative, what happened to you negatively from 0 to 11 and positively and then from 12 to 18 and then 18 on and to find, you know, look at what they write down and, uh, and you get to learn a lot about a person's story. Uh, but a plot, you know, just what's, what's happening. I went to school here, I got married, I had kids, that's happening. Now, what's the conflict or the dilemma? What's the temptation to complain? Okay, you did those things, what happened when, when you were married? Did, was there a problem there? Or, or a conflict with the kids or, you know, whatever that's going on there. So. And what's the resolution? And that's where the Bible principles and, and um, his word comes in. How do you apply um, God's word to that conflict in order to get the resolution? So why do we complain? 1 Corinthians 10, 10 through 13. Now this is interesting to have the word grumble in the same context as this popular verse here. So I'll just read the whole thing nor grumble, as some of them did, talking about the Israelites, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, that they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. In the same context of do not grumble is the fact that he gives us a way out of the temptation to sin. We will be tempted to complain. And we complain because we give in to the temptation to complain. So there is a way out. We don't have to complain. A lot of us complain out of a habit. It's habitual. Uh, when something happens, I just, just the sinful flesh just automatically starts to complain. Um, but as believers in Jesus Christ, as growing believers in Jesus Christ, we are to apply his scriptures to every situation that's going on. And we'll get more practical later. Why do we complain? There are some reasons here. Discontentment, unmet expectations, control, and ignorance. This is a woman with a hormonal problem, so I can totally relate to, to that picture there. But we have, you know, different things, foreclosures, body image issues, a breakup of a marriage, um, money problems. So discontent is be, just being not satisfied. Um, I, I remember, not, was it last year? Um, I moved to San Diego in 2009, and I was giving this topic, I was studying this, I was giving this message somewhere else, um, probably Women Discipling Women Conference, I think. 
um, on complaining. And through that, through preparing this, the Lord reminded me, like, Shannon, you have been waking up for three years in San Diego discontent. And I'm like, really, Lord? Why? I, I didn't see that. But now that you say that, Lord, yeah, that's true. I have been. Well, it's because I, I was living in the L.A. area and came out for the master's college to study biblical counseling and had my support system there and, you know, church family there. And I'm from South Carolina. I don't know anybody in California. And now I'm moving to San Diego where I really didn't know anybody. Oh, yeah, at least it's Patrick is there. But she goes to this church far, far away. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't know anybody there. Um, and I wasn't happy. I was, um, before I came to Valley Center Church where I am now, I was going to a different church and they were very supportive of biblical counseling. I felt lost. So um, I was not happy. And he brought that to my attention. I'm like, Lord, I am so sorry. I had to repent. Um, because I, what had happened, I just, I think in my thinking in life, I don't like the process. I like to move on to the next step. Like, okay, we got this, let's move on. You know, if we if you like to accomplish something, if I'm going through school, let's hurry up and get through school. I got this degree. Let's go on to the next thing. That's not the way God wants us to live life. But I was thinking that too. Okay, I'm in San Diego. Whatever you want me to get here, let me get it so I can move on. Oh, thank goodness I have repented of that, and I am no longer waking up discontent in San Diego. Uh, not satisfied with your circumstances. Something or someone you want that you don't have or something or someone you have that you don't want. You know, we can talk about property houses. I want this bigger house and I am discontent in this small three bedroom house. I need more space and you're discontent every time you wake up in the morning. Um, or I'm tired of driving this raggedy car. I want the, the nice SUV that everyone else is driving. You know, we can just go down the entire list. Home foreclosures, unemployment, shrunken retirement, bad health diagnosis, failed marriage, infertility, rebellious kids. It can go on and on and on and on. Ingratitude is another temptation to complain. I love this, this cartoon here. This says complaints and this says gratitude. No one's in the gratitude line. Okay, so ingratitude, it affects how you view life in your circumstance. And it leads to discouragement, depression, anxiety, it causes you to believe, to believe lies about God, and that happened with the Israelites, as we talked before. They believed God brought them into the wilderness to die, and that was not true. Comparison, the act of looking at things to see how they are similar or different. It's a destructive practice in keeping score. When we compare ourselves to others, we compare our nest eggs to others or um, their families coming into church dressed nicely and my family's raggedy and you know their kids sit still and, and they're disciplined my kids are rebellious uh, that's a dangerous thing to compare yourself to others because it causes you to miss what God is doing in your life now the toothbrush is saying sometimes I feel like I have the worst job in the world the toilet tissue is saying yeah right so who, I mean, they're comparing who has the worst job in the world. So we have unmet expectations, like um, unrealistic ones, like body image. Um, that's, you know, we are so familiar with this uh, issue, especially with the teens. But, you know, adults have this issue as well. And men have the issue as well. It's, um, there are a lot of young guys who are anorexic. You know, that's happening more and more with, with young guys. 
and relationships, unmet expectations in relationships. Like um, you wanted the ideal marriage and you don't have that. You want it. Uh, this, this is just a note for me to remind you of what happened. Uh, a friend of mine uh, said that a, that a guy friend of hers asked her, well, who do you want to marry? Or what type of guy do you want to marry? And she's like, oh, this, I want to marry a guy who is just so honest and moral and kind and just, you know, sacrificial and selfless and um, a man who loves me unconditionally like that with that agape love and just will provide for me, you know, emotionally, everything. And he's like, you just described Jesus. You can't marry Jesus. So it's like that was totally unrealistic because she's going to marry a sinner. Misplaced expectations. <laughs> Priorities. Expecting God to bless you with the American dream. Um, that isn't, some Christians ex have really had that expectation. And when it's not happening, uh, they're, they're really confused and don't understand what's going on and begin to complain about that. Um, expecting your child to take a certain path in life, and they don't. Uh, what do you do about that? And like I said, your ideal marriage. You thought you were marrying Prince charming and he thought he was marrying a princess fighting for your rights this is control when you're trying to control the situation and you you feel like it's slipping through your fingers you're going to complain and be angry all the time like i have i have a right to that inheritance uh, a loved one dies and leaves money to the family and the siblings are fighting over it and suppose you are the only christian and the other siblings are not and you're going to are you going to engage in that argument and complain along with them or are you going to be a witness to them, you know, to show them how Jesus Christ has changed your life? I have a right to get even with him or her. I mean, we can go down the list. Uh, well, she did this to me, and I'm going to get her back. Or, or my boss said this to me, and I'm not going to do my, my job because of what my boss said. Fear. Um, we try to control out of fear. And that can cause um, panic attacks, you know, anxiety. We are anxious about something and we are going through life and all of a sudden this panic attack just hits and we're, we can't breathe and different people respond differently in panic attacks and we're wondering what's going on and also manipulation is a, is a form of fear because you're feeling, fearing that you're going to lose something you're trying to manipulate the situation in order to control it so right now I'm just pointing out all the ugliness we'll get to the good part so ignorance um, I like this little thing here it says ignorance is produced with a closed Bible so not knowing God's character is ignorance not knowing how sinful we really are is ignorant and that can cause us to complain against God forgetfulness not remembering the times God provided and met our needs like the Israelites they forgot the miracles God um, did for them in the wilderness and forgetting leads to sin forgetting that we can't live this Christian life alone so we try to do things in our own effort and we fail and we were wondering what is wrong why aren't I moving forward in life it's because you're trying to do it in your own effort um, I'm gonna skip this part because I didn't have time to really go through it but what I love about biographies Christian biographies you can see a life from the beginning to the end and I picked George Mueller because we know enough about him, what he did with the orphanage. Um, his entire life, he had a death. He lost a child before. So there, there were some hardships in his life, but he stayed faithful throughout, you know, throughout his life. So um, 
don't know if he complained or not, but being that he's a sinful man, I, I'm, I can guess he probably complained one or two times or something. But the point was, it didn't keep him on the shelf. It didn't uh, destroy him. He's, he got through it, through, you know, in his relationship with the Lord and died a man still serving the Lord. And the same with um, Catherine Marshall. Uh, there, she has more books out, and her books like uh, Meeting God at Every Turn, there's one called Something More. She wrote a lot of books about her life and how, her walk with God and the things she learned along the way. And as you, as you remember, um, Peter Marshall was her husband who died. He was a pastor in Washington, D.C. and died of a heart attack when, her, when their son was nine. You know, so becoming a widow and raising um, a young boy, and then she remarried and remarried a man who had three kids. And being a writer, you know, she constantly did complain about not having the time to write what she wanted to write. Um, but it just showed, I think eventually she died of, I can't remember, she had tuberculosis at some point in her life and was bedridden for a while. Um, and she didn't like that because she's a woman on the go. So she had a lot of things to complain about, you know, a lot of temptation to, to complain. And she, you know, finished faithfully to the end. So that's why I like biographies. Um, embracing the story God is, is writing, so how do we em embrace it? We recognize the dangers of sinful complaining. And what is the motivation to stop complaining? So the dangers, let me just check the time. Uh, God hates it. In Numbers 11.1 1 and 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10.10 10 already. Uh, I think this is number, Numbers 11.1. Numbers 11, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So... He was ang his anger was kindled by the complaining. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them. They were destroyed by the destroyer, and that was an angel. Their judgment, I, I can't remember if it was in uh, the form of plagues or what happened there. It was fire, but do you guys, I don't know if you guys remember. I have to read it again. Their judgment was that they would die in the, in the wilderness, the present generation of rebels would die in the wilderness until 40 years were completed. The 40 years were calculated as one year for each day the spies were in Canaan. The 10 spies were undermined, who undermined the people's faith were struck by the, sorry, were struck by the plague and died. So God takes complaining seriously, sinful complaining. He takes that very seriously. And I don't think we realize that. So what are the character, um, characteristics of the ungodly is another reason why God hates sinful complaining. Um, you have anger and you have a bitter disposition. Um, I'm sure you've come across people who are just bitter, you know, just walk around bitter um, or a joyless and peaceless disposition. And uh, I was telling someone earlier that at work I have a sign on my desk that says no negative talk zone because there's one woman in particular, she's very, very negative. I mean, like, just viciously negative. And it's very toxic, and it's kind of scary. And I, it's like, I, I can't be around that. And, I, and I'm just praying, I think, 
Phil, you remember in our small group, that was a prayer request. Um, fortunately, out of a, a few circumstances, God moved her to a different room. So, um, and I, I know it was God just praying and being faithful and trying to witness to her and not being caught up in the complaining and gossip as easy as that is to do. Um, you know, God gave me that way of escape and I was so grateful. So God judges complaining in James 5, 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And in 2 John 8 says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Christians as a whole, I think we have to be careful in how we view uh, life situations uh, in the world that's going on, um, the leadership of this country and whatever else is going on, um, what comes out of our mouths and when un unbelievers are around us. I think we really need to be careful um, and, you know, and how we talk about our, our family members around unbelievers. We shouldn't do that around each other, but especially around unbelievers. So how does sinful complaining affect you? Do you look like this eventually, lounging in the chair? It hinders your fellowship with the Lord. It really does hinder your fellowship with the Lord because what did I say sinful complaining is? It is against God. It's, ne it's a negative um, complaint against God. So you stop spending time with the Lord. It becomes more difficult to pray and to love others. You begin to avoid the fellowship of other believers and your spiritual life is put on the shelf. Years can be going by and you're wondering, why am I not progressing? Why am I not doing what she's doing now or what he's doing now? Um, but you've been waking up complaining every day or complaining about your situation or your, your work environment and, and you're not content there um, and God has not moved you on. So that's something to think about. How are you looking at your daily life? Are you faithful and not complaining? How does your complaining affect others? Causes broken relationships. Chronic complainers lose friendships. Can you imagine being around someone who complains all the time? Uh, you're not going to be calling them to go hang out. It causes problems in marriage, as you can imagine. It isolates you from fellowship with others. Nothing others do can satisfy you. You're always being critical about how someone is doing something, how they're dressed, how they're talking. It's, you're just complaining all the time. Uh, you began to envy others as well. The spiritual quality, I don't remember who did this quote, but I add, added spiritual to it. The spiritual quality of your life is the platform of our personal testimony. The spiritual quality of our life is the platform of our personal testimony. So the quality, the spiritual quality of your life, are you recognized as a complainer? That's, your, that's the platform in which your personal testimony is coming from. Um, what characterizes you spiritually? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? That's, that's, what, that's our measure, the fruit of the Spirit. Motivation to stop complaining for the sake of the gospel. Paul said his circumstances is for the greater progress of the gospel, and that is found in Philippians 1, 12, and it says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul's imprisonment proved to be no hindrance to the spreading 
the message of salvation. Matter of fact, it progressed it further. So his afflictions, his circumstances, his difficult circumstances actually helped in the progress of the gospel. So your circumstances, our circumstances, whatever it is that we are tempted to complain about, if we respond in a way that ends in praise, like we talked about the biblical complaint, that can progress the gospel in our lives. It is sin. It is sin. If you didn't know, Lamentations 3.39 says, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? That's, you know, knowing who you are in Christ. Um, Romans 6 that Steve uh, spoke about is a good passage to go through. I love the way he, the questions he asked, he would ask the counselee at the end. I mean, those are so direct and undeniable. Um, and it says in Psalm 39.9, I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. So the test will be when you leave here and you go back to your homes, something's not going to be quite right when you get there. You're going to be tempted to complain. Are you going to uh, mute your mouth? <laughs> because it is God who has done it. The sufferers in the captivity must submit to the will of God in all their sufferings. We must submit to the will of God in our sufferings because he is sovereign over whatever circumstances he has allowed to happen in your life. And it's for your sake, that's the motivation, for your sake um, to not to complain. Paul said not to Paul said not to complain so we may prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. And that's our theme verse up there. And also reverent fear of God. And when you look up Numbers 12, 8 and Romans 9, 20, Numbers 12 says, With him I speak mouth to mouth. This is God talking about Moses in response to the uh, complaint that Miriam and Aaron, Aaron was um, doing. They were complaining against Moses. God says, With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, um, against Moses? And that's where Miriam got leprosy. Romans 9, 2, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? If God is the author and we are the characters, who are we as the characters to turn to the author and say, no, don't write that plot. I want a different one. You know, to think, think how crazy that is when you look at it that way. But that's what we do. It's like, no, God, I don't want you to write my story this way. Step aside. Let me write it this way. And we tend to mess up everything that way. Okay, another motivation is for the sake of others. Complaining prevents you from loving others. I think that's self-explanatory. Um, when you're complaining, who are you focused on? You're focused on yourself. You're focused on your comfort. You're focused on getting what you want. So you're not able to see the needs of other people or even anticipate the needs of other people. And this is a quote from someone, I'm sorry, I don't know. I just take a lot of notes in my research and I forget to write the references down. But at least I know it's a quote. Uh, Show me your redeemed lives and I might be inclined to believe in your redeemer. Think about the people, even believers around you. We have to be witnesses and examples to each other. Show me your redeemed lives and I might be inclined to believe your Redeemer. So if you're walking around complaining at work or 
in the grocery store or whatever, people are watching, people are listening. Whiners or worshipers? What are you, what are you gonna choose? Are you gonna whine or are you gonna worship? John 4, 23 through 24 says, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When you're complaining, you're not worshiping in spirit and truth. So worship is the greatest reflection of the gospel in the Christian. Just think about that for a moment. Worship is the greatest reflection of the gospel in the Christian. Why is that? Why does worship reflect the gospel? Just throw out some ideas. What is worship? Praise. Worship is praise. What are we praising God for? Well, we're praising God for what Jesus has done. The very fact that we can worship him is evidence of what Jesus has done in our lives. And it, it spills out into every aspect of our lives. We take on the character of Jesus Christ. We begin to live out the fruit of the Spirit. We, we begin to share the gospel. Think of Paul, how Paul lived his life. He worshiped God, and it reflected the gospel. What or who you worship reveals your heart and reveals your destiny. This is a quote from my pastor, John Sale. He said, what or who you worship reveals your heart and reveals your destiny. It determines where you're going, wherever you're whoever you're worshiping, whatever you're worshiping. If you're worshiping fame and glory, uh, that will reveal your heart and it will, will reveal your destiny. Worship is transformative. It is healing. It is freeing and it calms an anxious spirit. So when you find yourself in an emotional situation for the upteen time, this person has done this again, and your negative emotions are coming up, what should you do in that situation? Are you going to whine or are you going to worship? If you leave here with nothing else, remember that you have two choices, to whine or to worship. So this is a chart of some examples of whining and worship. And I know you guys probably can't see that back there. I'll read it if I can see it here. Uh, God hasn't given me what, this is the whine category. God hasn't given me what I want and has forgotten me. The worship, Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that takes faith in the midst of a difficult situation to believe that God is not going to leave you, is not going to forsake you. This is a faith walk. You can't see it yet. <laughs> in the midst of it, you have to believe. And that's where worship helps. That's how worship helps. Um, if you find yourself whining, get into the Word, get into the Psalms, get your favorite uh, worship CD, and just get into the presence of God. Whining, I want a bigger and better status in life. First Timothy 6, 8. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. And um, the other one is, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. First Timothy 6, 6. You can just hear the whining, right? Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great 
gain. This takes out the legalism of trying to be godly and doing the right things and going to church and all this kind of stuff. If you're doing it um, grudgingly or with, with uh, dread, um, and you're not, you're not content. Another whining one is, how come she gets the American dream and I get nightmares? First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I, I have to look at praise and thank, thanksgiving as spiritual weapons because there's no rhyme or reason to be thankful in a difficult situation from the fleshly perspective. So to fight that, you know, you use your, what are my tools, what are my weapons? Praise, worship, being thankful. How come she gets, okay, I did that. It's not fair. I go to church and she doesn't, and God blesses her with a big house and a husband and kids and cars. Psalm 37, 16 says, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. And then the last one, I don't want to be an administrator in the church. I want to sing in the choir. 1 Corinthians 7, 20. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he has called. So you have to know what God has called you to do. And you have to check your motives. Why do you want to sing in the choir like she does when he's given you a different type, kind of gift? And you have to check your motives. So the take home, when life takes a turn for the worse, what will you choose? Will you curse God or bless him? That's worship. Will you doubt God or trust him? Worship. Will you walk by sight or walk by faith? Will you whine or will you worship? If you have any questions, um, I can answer them, but let me pray us out. We're a little early, but I will pray and then we can do questions if you have questions. Thank you, Father, for um, this opportunity to uh, sit here and listen to uh, these messages at IBCD. I so look forward to the rest of the weekend. Thank you for what you've given us so far. Lord, I pray that you would um, open our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive what you're saying. Father, give us humble hearts uh, to recognize our own sin. That is so difficult to admit, Father, but we, that's the place where we need to be in order to receive um, the freedom, the victory, um, the out of temptation that you have provided for us so that we can live the victorious, abundant life that you have promised, the joy that you have promised um, that indwells us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I just thank you that we would be witnesses uh, to others around us, that we will not walk around complaining and, and whining, that we will choose to worship you. But Father, please remind us, we are so forgetful. Um, as soon as we walk out of this door, we're gonna be tempted, Father. So please, in your grace and your mercy, let us not condemn ourselves, but be reminded that we can come to you in your loving arms and receive your grace and that you will remind us uh, to worship you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Copyright 2014, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.